Welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help teens and adults with autism become more independent and successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. It's a well-known fact that employment rates for autistic people are not very impressive. However, if there is effective leadership in a workplace that hires someone with autism, that dynamic can change. Today we are going to talk with Thomas Edwards, who has written a soon-to-release book about how effective leadership of the neurodiverse can unleash their potential and help them to become successful employees. Thomas is an associate professor and director of engineering management program at Temple University. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Thomas, uh, first I wanted to thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. So I wanted to start off and uh, learn where does your story begin in the autism community? Sure. My story began with a family member, which is probably not a, a, an unusual story. And this specific family member, um, he's on the autism spectrum and doing really well. You know, figuring it out. You know, it, it's challenging, but he's figuring it out. He can live independently. He can take care of himself. He managed high school. He managed some post-secondary um, education as well, built some job skills. The barrier that he hasn't been able to get over is full-time employment. So that's like the last barrier he faces. Uh, and in chatting about it, uh, chatting with him about it one day, he was telling me what was going on at work and frustrations and whatnot. And, and it occurred to me that how he was being managed, how he was being supervised was wrong. That these guys, they, they were just not leading him correctly. And that was part of the, the problems he had, part of the barrier that he had to face. So that's how my story began. Now, I know you have an extensive background in leadership and, and recently wrote a book on how effective leadership of autistic and neurodiverse people can unleash their potential to improve your company and make you a better leader. Uh, wh why did you decide to write this book? back to the, to the aha moment that we just spoke of regarding my family member, um, the, my realization that part of the issue was he wasn't being supervised well. And at that point, I was about halfway through my doctoral work in management, and I had this wonderful new toy at my disposal called the literature search. And I thought, well, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to search all of the management research literature, and I'm going to find out what we know about leading and managing um, 
neurodiverse people, and um, I'm going to be able to make a contribution to this. So this was a few years ago, and at that point when I did that literature search, I came up with absolutely zero. There was nothing published on this topic. Since then, there's been a few things. So there's the, the start of something, which is encouraging, but at that point in time, there was nothing. So rather than just give up, my um, next step was to combine the best available management literature on how to lead neurotypical folks, and I applied a judgment to it on how we should modify it for neurodiverse employees, and I, I built a workshop based on this. And one of my students at this point in time, I was adjuncting in a couple of different programs, and one of my students was the executive director of a um, outfit that was a service provider for, for this population. So some of her staff were very, you know, lived this day to day. They were job coaches, job developers. This was their challenge day in and day out. And she was very generous and, and provided her entire staff to me to pilot test this workshop. And so I ran through the workshop trying to get some kind of a, of a verification I was on the right path, applying my judgment uh, to these things. And, uh, you know, I gave the, the entire staff, um, the, the, the entire membership of the workshop, you know, the opportunity to do anonymous feedback. This is helpful. Does it help you do your job better? Is Edward's completely on the wrong path and he needs to give it up? You know, just to, I really needed a sanity check from a pretty knowledgeable and tough audience on whether I was on the right direction. And I got pretty good results that I was on the right direction. So I did two things after that. So, so one of the things I did was I immediately, not immediately, but soon thereafter included all of this material in my, my classroom. So anyone um, that takes a graduate course with me in the fundamentals of leadership gets exposed to, to this challenge, to the opportunity to do this and what we know about it and what we don't know about it. But on top of that, then I had a workshop that, that, was, that passed a pretty significant pilot test, but it was a workshop that companies really don't know they need. You know, it's just, okay, I can, I can tell them how to do this, but really that doesn't help them understand the why they should do this. But one of the things I wanted to do, I didn't want to get this word out further than just people I could get in what few workshops I've ran and people who happen to be in my classroom. And that was the idea of the book, that if I get, if I get these thoughts, these lessons, these judgments that are in the workshop down in a book, they can get a wider distribution than, than just who happens to show up in my classroom. So that was the, the motivation for me to uh, decide how to write, or to decide to write the book. And for those that may be unfamiliar with the term neurodiverse, can you define that for them? caveats, and in fact, let me do the caveats first. This language can be pretty tricky. We need to have these terms so that we can communicate about the issue, but this is language that's used as a label for people, and we need to be very respectful because there's a lot of different opinions on this, and I've listened to a lot of debates in, in social media on these terms, and there's some people feel very strongly, very passionately about neurodiverse and others about neurodivergent. Um, I even heard one debate where neurodiverse is something that should be applied to a population, but an individual can't be neurodiverse because individuals are individuals, and the individual should be neurodivergent, and they were getting way into the, to the weeds, the grammar weeds of it. 
Almost no one likes the terms of high functioning and low functioning. That seems to be really toxic language. I stay away from that. Um, so in, in dealing with individuals, I always respect their wishes with respect to language. But I did use this term, as you point out, neurodiversity, neurodiverse in the book, as a, as a way to communicate about it. So it's a fair question. What do I mean by neurodiverse in this context? What I mean is neurodiversity is a diversity in how human minds work. And it appears that there's some minds that work significantly different from others. So this isn't a question of one being broken and the other being quote-unquote normal. This is a question of one being more common and one being relatively rare. But it's still a human mind that, that functions the way it does. So to me, neurodiversity, I can sum this up, to me, neurodiversity means three things. One, we need to recognize that some minds work differently than my own does. Secondly, I have to respect that difference. And then third, and this is the... the what I'm trying to do, work hard to find a way for everyone to fit in, for everyone to be included, regardless of, of how their mind works. So that's how I use neurodiverse, neurodiversity in the book. That's what it means to me. And something I always find interesting are the uh, titles of books and how they, the origin of those. Um, so why did you decide to name your book Leading Team Members with Superpowers? Okay, great question. Um, I, I came up with that title based on listening to a talk by John Elder Robeson that you may be familiar with, some of your listeners may be familiar with. Yes. So John's an engineer, and I'm an engineer, so we have that in common. And in one of the, the talks that I went to, John was talking about how he did design work. And he was responsible for the first electrical circuit that could digitize the human voice. So a pretty significant engineering achievement. And as he was talking about it, he was, he was talking about the ability to hold in his mind the waveform that he wanted to create. And we're talking about a human voice, so this is a very complex waveform. So he could hold this waveform that he needed to create in his mind, and he could just build the circuit that he knew he needed in order to create this waveform. Now, i, I got to tell you, I'm an engineer, been an engineer for a long time, designed a lot of things, and I never designed anything like that. Um, that was amazing to me. Um, I went home to my wife, and I, and I was telling her this story, and I, I told her, I said, this is the closest I've ever seen to a real superpower in my life. And she kind of said, yes, some of these guys have superpowers. And, and that, so that's when this the, the, the started to stick in my mind. And, and so, other, so other superpowers, what I would call superpowers, are perhaps more subtle than this amazing ability that John Elder Robeson had. So let me another quick story to illustrate that. There's a, a young woman um, who I coach on management and leadership from time to time, and she has taken a, a neurodiverse individual into her team, and this is a specialty retail outfit. Um, and there's a lot of procedures. There's a procedure for everything. There's a procedure for when a customer wants to return something to decide whether to accept it or not. There's a procedure for what do you do with it? Do you restock it? Do you return it to the manufacturer? There's a procedure for how do you restock it or how do all, there's a, a three ring binder of procedures. So she took a risk on this young guy, got him into her team, and what they found out, the, the, une, the unexpected superpower, 
that this individual had was he doesn't have to go look at the three ring binder. He can pull up all of these um, complex procedures out of memory. Mm-hmm. So when he's interacting with a customer, it's not like, I'm sorry, ma'am, I got to go look at the book and figure out, you know, what the next step is. He just knows what the next step is and can just interact with the customer seamlessly. Obviously, this is this is not the same level of of, of special ability of what I call superpower that John Elder Robinson had, but it's still valuable. It's still valuable to that business, and it's still something that's a unique um, ability from this individual. So, the, so the title when I picked the title, decided on the title, it's meant to communicate that there's an opportunity for managers and business owners to improve how their organizations work by learning to empower neurodiverse employees so that they can bring these these abilities to the job and, and help the company. So that's how I decided on the name for the book. And in doing research for your book, I read that uh, you learned that those on the spectrum have deeply specific skills and weak central coherence. Can you explain what weak central coherence is and how it could affect those um, with autism in terms of maintaining employment? Um, weak central coherence is a, is a psychology term, and I'm not a psychologist, I'm an engineer, but this, this concept of describing the autistic mind as one of the deep specific skills combined with weak central coherence comes from uh, Francesca Hoppe, who is a psychologist and, and a very noted autism researcher. Um, in fact, it was, it was this concept of deep specific skills and weak central coherence that I used as my uh, judgment tool when I put my workshop together. So this deep specific skills that Francesca Hoppe talks about are directly analogous to the superpowers that we just discussed a few minutes ago. And and the weak central coherence, and again it's a psychology term, and I think that Francesca Hoppe explains it really well. She refers to it as not getting the gist of what is going on around you. So an obvious example of not getting the gist would be not getting social cues. And again, this concept of not getting the gist is how I built my management skills workshop. I looked at everything we train new managers to do, and I made a judgment about how much of this advice is dependent upon the employee that you're leading, that you're supervising, getting the gist. And how would we modify our leadership approach for an employee who doesn't get the gist? So that's that's the, uh, the explanation of weak central coherence that I found very useful in my work. Now, I read that you are you're looking to apply your extensive background in leadership to answer the question, how does one modify their management approach to effectively supervise neurodiverse employees? So uh, what, what answers have you come up with uh, up to this point? Again, great question. So there, there's three sources of information that we can rely on to answer this. Um, one is there's been a little bit of research that's been done and I, I try to keep up on that and, and review that. Um, the second is applying Francesca Hoppe's weak central coherence argument to make a judgment about normal, standard leadership techniques. And third, conversations I've had with folks that I would call early adopters that have already brought neurodiverse employees into their companies. And the answer is that the modifications are pretty minor. They're not a big deal. But two, two caveats to that. You have to be mindful of them and they're not optional. You got to get them done. So, so two examples that I think helps us understand this. Um, 
The first example, a fellow was brought into a small manufacturing firm, into a job, an assembly job, that required a lot of getting the gist. The, the job was, if this happens, um, then make a judgment about you know, why did it happen, and then make a judgment about what to do next, um, then do that next thing, evaluate the results you get, then decide the next thing to do. And there was just too much of getting the gist for this individual, for this specific individual. To management's credit at this place, they recognized that the problem was not the employee, but that the problem was a mismatch between the employee's ability and the job requirement. So they moved him to a different job, still a job that needed to be done, um, that required a less of this getting the gist. And the guy's, as far as I know, he's still there and he's thriving. So the, the second example would be this, this young woman um, that I coached, uh, that I spoke about a few minutes ago, who gave this sales opportunity to a neurodiverse employee. So this is sales on the floor, specialty retail environment, dynamic, a lot of things happening, difficult work environment. Um, so I'm happy to say that the, the neurodiverse employee that we're talking about has been in this job for over a year and he's doing really well. He's thriving, he's thrilled, his family's thrilled, it's really working out well. And in speaking to his manager, she reports that the extra supervision she needed to apply was pretty minimal. Maybe you'd have to explain things twice instead of once. Um, and maybe you'd have to explain things that you really didn't need to explain to a, a neurotypical employee. You know, things about personal space or maybe it's not a good idea to interrupt one of your coworkers when they're interacting with a customer to, to find out information you need. Wait until that's over. So normally we wouldn't have that conversation. So she had to have a few conversations that she normally wouldn't have. And some of the conversations she had to have you know, more than once, but basically she's reporting that it really is not that big of a deal. So this, this all adds up to the conclusion that the modifications that a reasonably skilled supervisor needs to make are pretty minor. But you can't ignore them. You must make these adjustments. And, and also there's a rub, right? I said a reasonably skilled supervisor. One of the issues, one of the problems is that there's not enough reasonably skilled supervisors in the business world. The Gallup poll runs a state of the American workforce study every two years, and they conclude that only 30% of American employees are really engaged because their supervisor is doing a good job. 30% of American employees are well-led. The remaining 70% have bosses that range from inadequate to what the Gallup the CEO's cover letter calls bosses from hell. <laughs> so if you combine an unskilled supervisor and a neurodiverse employee, you probably don't have a recipe for success. So, so I try to address this in the book. Each chapter addresses a, a specific basic management skill, something like delegation. And it starts with what we know about effectively applying this to anyone to attempt to address that 70% of supervisors that, that are unskilled and untrained. Then it moves on to, okay, well, what do we know about modifying this thing, um, in this case delegation, for neurodiverse employees? So the hidden advantage for employers here, and there's actually some research that's starting to support this, the hidden advantage is if they improve how they manage neurodiverse employees, they very well may improve how they supervise everyone. And that's going to result in an improvement in employee commitment and productivity, just good things that are going to happen for the, the business. 
Um, so, so that's the answers, the, the type of answers we're getting, and there's a lot more work that needs to be done, but, but that's the picture that's starting to emerge. Now, being an entrepreneur myself, it's uh, really piqued my interest that you're looking to harness the power of entrepreneurship. Uh, can you share your vision with our listeners? as I'm sure you know, covered a lot of a lot of area. Mm-hmm. And one corner of that map is entrepreneurs that disrupt the status quo. Um, what Joseph Schumpeter this goes way back in the nineteen thirties called the gales of creative destruction that sweep away the old ways of doing things. Um, if you think about um, how word processing software has swept away the old typewriter industry. That's a, a great example of these gales of creative destruction, the, the, the disruption to the status quo that some entrepreneurship can, can cause. So recall here that my basic premise is that um, there are jobs. I'm sorry. My basic premise is that empowering neurodiverse employees creates value. This is not altruism. This is not charity. This is value added to the business. So if my premise is true, then there's some jobs where neurodiverse employees will outperform neurotypical employees due to these deep-specific skills we've talked about. So if entrepreneurs can leverage this value proposition to create startups with a competitive advantage, right? So what... So once they do that, then you got to ask yourself the status quo, right? And remember that the status quo is the way we're doing business now. The status quo has resulted in 80% unemployment rate among the neurodiverse. So if entrepreneurs start to successfully leverage this value proposition, create these startups with a competitive advantage, the status quo is going to do one of two things. They're going to buy out the entrepreneur, right? Acquire the startup to get a hold of this competitive advantage. They're going to start doing something internally at the, the status quo of the companies. They're going to start changing the way they do business internally so that they can compete with these startups. Or third, they're just going to outsource the work to the startups, and that's going to result in the startups becoming more successful. So any three of these addresses the... the uh, the unemployment rate, any of these outcomes is a win for the goal of having the neurodiverse share and the financial independence that comes from full-time, value-producing employment. So that's that's my vision of how entrepreneurship contributes to this. Mm-hmm. Now, now, last I heard, um, your book uh, is going through the, the editing process. Where does that stand now? And if our listeners want to learn more about you and your book, how would they go about doing so? for the book just closed. It was successful. Um, so any of your listeners who were aware of that and either pledged or, or spread the word, I want to say a sincere thank you to them. Um, the book has already been written. Um, I was not raising money to pay myself to write the book. The, uh, my long-suffering wife has proofread the book, um, so it's got some level of, of, uh, of readiness, but it hasn't been copy edited yet. And this is really copy. Copy editing is the difference between most self-published book and, and something that's, that's very professional. Um, so I have a copy editor um, ready to start on this. She's very, very talented. I, I read her stuff. She does a great job. Um, her availability starts 
at the end of February. So in a couple weeks, we'll start the copy editing process. Lots of other details, the finalizing the cover art, there's charts, there's tables, um, there's, there's a lot of nuts and bolts that go into this. Um, and, uh, and then obviously the book has to be printed and mailed. So probably looking at the end of April before I can ship the books. Um, anyone who wants to find out more, probably the easiest way is uh, I have a Facebook page specifically for this project. I can teach members with superpowers. Um, I haven't posted on that too much to date, but now that the, the book is starting to, uh, to get traction, uh, Kickstarter's been a success, I'll be posting status on that uh, Facebook page. Um, they can also find me on LinkedIn, and I'm Thomas V. Edwards, Jr. Um, and uh, they, anybody who connects either on Facebook or, or uh, LinkedIn, I can certainly direct them to my, my web page as well. So that would be the best way for folks to get in touch with me. Well, I, I look forward to reading the book, Thomas, and thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for making this forum available to me. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episodes. I say so often it's not easy to find employment, but it's so much easier to find a job than to keep one. The more conversations we can have about maintaining employment so we can develop more effective strategies to support autistic people at their jobs, the better off we are going to be. Autism Personal Coach saves people with autism from feeling alone and being isolated. So often, teens and adults with autism struggle with anxiety and as a result don't have success in their lives. Autism Personal Coach is a unique service in that we help those with autism by working on meaningful individualized goals in the setting in which they will be used, which in many cases is the person's workplace, so their anxiety is greatly reduced and as a result they can become much more independent and successful. To get an Autism Coach for a loved one or yourself, it's very easy. All you have to do is email autismpersonalcoach at yahoo.com or call 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. Next week's episode, we are going to talk with Sandra Williams about how autistic people can communicate with others to get their needs met. Talk to you then.